You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by 90 Min as ever. I'm your host, Harry Simu, and on this episode, I'm joined by our esteemed guest, uh, journalist, radio producer, podcaster, whatever you want to call him. Uh, the brilliant Mike Stavrou is back with us. How are you, sir? First time I've been called esteemed by someone other than my nan, so uh, thank you very much, Harry. I'm good, mate. <laughs> nans nans love their grandsons, don't they? Especially yeah. Greek nans. They can do nothing wrong. They will try to uh, fill you up until you're about 20 stone. Yep. Um, and yeah, you can basically, you're just an angel in, in their eyes. So uh, yeah, apart from apart from that. Also though, as well, they'll fill you up, try and get you up to around about 20 stone and then be the first people to tell you that you've put some timber on. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah, it's doing. like, yeah, yeah, Nan, it's because of you. That's yeah. why, because it's the only sort of tradition where, um, what well, well, I don't know, but obviously, like I think the Greek culture, where you you go for a, for a Sunday roast, and there's about three other meals on, on the table as well, and yeah, side it, dishes, side dishes, side dishes, side dishes, which would be main <laughs> meals to most people, and it's all it's all in the middle of the table, so it's not like you you dish up and there's your plate. No, 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 it is a free for all. So <laughs> that so that that's why. <laughs> Absolutely. And even when you clear your plate, they'll still force you to eat more. Are you still yeah. hungry? Are you still hungry? No, I'm not, for God's sake. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> we digress, but it was a good digression, I have to say. Uh, before we dive into the show, uh, let me just quickly remind you guys that due uh, or in celebration of the third year of the Chronicles of Aguna podcast, we'll be hitting the third year anniversary uh, in January. We're going to be giving away not one, but two Arsenal shirts. Uh, it can be an Arsenal 2020-21 shirt. Sorry, 21-22, that is the season we're in, right? Uh, so the current season <laughs> shirt, will be giving away two of those uh, to uh, two of our lucky listeners. Now, to enter the competition, you either need to go over to Twitter, check us out at Chronicles underscore AFC, check out our pinned tweet, retweet it, uh, subscribe to this YouTube channel if you haven't done so already, and then uh, comment underneath saying done. That will put you into the draw. If you don't have Twitter, because I know there's a few of you that don't, and a lot of you have been contacting me about how else you can enter, then you can email us at chroniclesafc at gmail.com. Um, enter, send us an email saying, I'd like to enter the competition. Make sure you're subscribed to the YouTube channel and you too will go into the draw. We'll be making the draw on the 3rd of December. Uh, so there's plenty of time for you to enter. And uh, as I say, we'll be giving away two free Arsenal shirts. We'll be reaching out to the winners, getting your details, getting your choice, uh, getting your size, and we'll be sending those out to you. Big hello to everybody joining us in the live chat. Uh, big hello to Steve, to Dave, uh, to Syed, to Simpy, uh, to Mint, to Matt, to Graham, uh, to Lewis, to Nathan, and everybody else joining us at the moment. Hope you're all, um, hope you're all doing well. Uh, thank you for being with us as always, uh, Mike. I want to begin today by talking about Alexander Lacazette because 
this has been a really weird story over the last sort of 24 hours. Now, yesterday, I read reports from uh, some Spanish outlets saying that Arsenal had decided against offering Alexander Lacazette a new deal, that the decision had been made, that the club felt that it was time to move on from Alexander Lacazette and he had been informed of this decision. And Atletico Madrid, a club that he's been linked with on numerous occasions, actually, throughout his career, prior to joining Arsenal, he was heavily linked with a move to Atletico as well. Um, yeah, the, the report said that Atletico Madrid were at the front of the queue waiting to pick up Alexander Lacazette in the summer and that a deal could be agreed as early as January, because, of course, Alexander Lacazette would be free to speak to European clubs. Now, I thought that was that was the situation. I thought that was the, the way it was going to go, only to read another report very shortly after from a UK outlet uh, suggesting that actually, although it's expected Alexander Lacazette will probably prefer to leave, Arsenal are preparing a pretty substantial offer for the Frenchman. First of all, what do you make of this? And what would mm. you do with, with a, I'm not going to say a problem like Alexander Lacazette, but mm. a situation like Lacazette's? Yeah, so it's a strange one, isn't it? Because we're hearing the different reports, all all you know, manner of things that could be going on behind the scenes. We don't know. The only thing we do know uh, is what Mikhail Arteta has said most recently, which um, I think it was a couple of weeks ago. He said that, um, you know, no discussions will be taking place or... This is this is what this is what I read from it anyway. But I think he basically said the discussions won't be taking place until until the end of the season, which obviously leaves us in a precarious position because obviously with Lacazette's contract expiring in next summer, he'll be able to negotiate with foreign clubs from January. So that means that we will be hearing a lot more, I think, about any foreign interest in Lacazette, like Atletico Madrid, who have been linked to him, um, a few other clubs as well. I've seen. Um, that sort of, you know, speculation will be ramping up, I think, as, as we near towards um, January. What is really true, I think it's, it's impossible to say unless there's some movement, unless an agent speaks out, unless Lacazette speaks out. Um, but I don't think we'll be receiving much sort of concrete stuff, maybe nearer till, till January, where he might either agree um, to, to sort of leave in the summer or they might be closer to some sort of new deal. We might hear about that. So for the moment, I think it's very up in the air. In terms of what I think should happen, uh, in a perfect world, I think uh, a one-year extension would, would be would be good for, for us. Probably wouldn't be good for him. He obviously wants to secure his, his future in the long term. But I'm thinking, you know, if we're looking at a sort of new uh, striker next summer or we're, we're looking for his sort of replacement, as it were, it gives us time for that new signing if we make it to settle in um to sort of make his mark and then we'll still be have the we'll still have Lacazette as, as a backup option and we've seen this the sort of value of him this season as a backup option um and he played so well that he in fact forced himself into the team i think my sort of quandary with it is do we want to be handing if if he doesn't agree to this one year extension or two year one year is probably better. If if he wants a longer contract, do we give in? Um, I'm not sure because do we go down the same route that we've been through before, giving players that are sort of senior big contracts when in fact you could pave the way for for a new signing, new blood, younger player to to fill it. So I think ideal world for me, one year will be good for us. Yeah, I, I think I agree with that. I think 
what we've seen from Arsenal over the course of the last few months is a very clear strategy. You know, we can criticise them and we can slag them off and we can say maybe come the end of the season that it wasn't enough and it wasn't the right approach. But at this moment in time, we still have to give them the opportunity to to make this you know approach work, to make it work for us. And what we've seen so far is a, a reluctance to kind of invest big in players that are essentially entering the twilight of their careers. And I'm not saying that Alexander Lacazette is finished. I still think he's got a lot to offer. I think he's got a lot to offer, not just on the pitch, but behind the scenes as well, because he's clearly a very popular character, clearly has a great influence over some of the young players. I think the one thing you could never question Alexander Lacazette is on it, sorry, is his attitude. I think his attitude has been spot on, even when he's not been in the starting lineup. He's never looked disinterested. He's never shown any signs of kind of, you know, wanting away. He's always been very, very committed to the cause. And, and for that, he deserves immense credit. So I think part of the reason Arsenal would, or if they were making a list of the pros and cons, one of the pros would certainly be his influence off the field, uh, you know, aside from what he does when he's actually in the team. I think I agree with you. I think a one-year deal would be ideal because what that does is it protects us against over-investing in him. But it also gives us a little bit more time to kind of blood through some of the younger forwards at the club. I know that there's big hopes for Balogun. I don't think he's there yet. Um, and I still think he's probably going to need further, longer than just this season. He's not even getting games in the first team. So you can't say he's definitely ready now. Um, so I think it kind of kicks the can down the road a little bit. But I'm only OK with that, Mike, if Arsenal do go out and go big on a striker this summer. I don't expect it to happen in January. But in the summer, I think we'll reach a point where we have to look beyond Lacazette and Aubameyang. I think they're mm. both good forwards, have been good forwards throughout their careers, but are probably not quite suited to A, the system and suited to this project. I think there's an important point that maybe we as fans miss, and that's that you do need some seniority in and around the group. You cannot rely on essentially kids to win you things. I think that's been proven time and time again, that inexperience and all of that jazz does often lead to, you know, you missing out or falling short. So I think we need that balance between seniority and the vibrant youth and the future. I think Lacazette is a good person to have around because he he seems to embody what a senior player should be in terms of mm. the way he carries himself, the way he, you know, works with other people. But also, you know, it's it's that thing, isn't it? It's balancing your needs with your finances. And and giving him a big contract would handicap us surely in the transfer market when it comes to bringing in another striker. So I guess the, the big thing here is weighing it all up. I, I don't think you can keep Aubameyang and Lacazette and bring in another big striker. I wonder if that's too much. What do you think? Well, yeah, because if we look at the, the current situation right now, we've got um, Aubameyang, Lacazette and Balogun and Nketiah. And for me, if, if I was making the decisions, uh, I'm clearly not probably shouldn't be because uh, we're just your, fans, your grand your grand would say you should though my, my grand thinks i should be the technical director um, she thinks edu is is clueless and should go uh, we we're having a chat about it the other day um no but um over 10 we, meals <laughs> yeah while well, i was stuffed I was absolutely stuffed. no so so we, we've always got them four strikers for me eddie is probably going to go hasn't really worked out for him needs to move on to develop his, his own career Balogun needs a loan for me, which obviously leaves us with um, Bamiang and, and Lacazette. But I think that 
if Balogun might may stay and he might be the sort of player that we use if we get back into Europa League as like the rotational player. So it, it's good to have that sort of guy there. I think between Lacazette, um, sorry, Balogun and Enketia, one of them will stay. I'm, I'm hoping in, anyway to sort of develop them. But um, I, I just want to take us back a little bit because in the summer, I think I was of the mindset that one of Bamiyang or, or Lacazette was going to go and we're going to bring someone in. That didn't quite happen, but I'm still just because we've had a good run doesn't mean my my mind has changed on that. And let, let's be frank, like, I think after the first three games of the season when we were down in bottom, I think a lot of people would have said as well, why didn't we bring in a striker? It just so happens that Aubameyang has completely reinvigorated himself, um, being exceptional uh, after the, after that sort of uh, battering in the, in the first three games of the season, and now he looks like the sort of player that that we had before. Um, and maybe he's sort of extended his his lifeline with Arsenal a little bit, and extended his lifeline and support with with a lot of fans who are doubting him as well. Um, so we have to, you know, keep with that goodwill. And as long as he keeps producing that, that's that's when that's what, that's when we keep him essentially. And it's, it's exactly the same with with Lacazette. The way I see it is the the Chelsea model of giving players who are senior short contracts works because you keep them on their toes. They don't just relax. They don't turn in loads of bad performances because they know that they're probably going to go. Like to take like Olivier Giroud, he was like the the veteran striker in the team last year, and even though he was in and out of the team, barely played. When he was called upon, he scored because that that's what that does. You you know that if you're on a short term contract, I need to put in everything every single time I play because I know that my future depends on it. So I think that's the sort of system we need to keep going forward. Who knows what situation we're going to be in next summer? Who knows what sort of performances those two are going to put in over the, over the next sort of six months? Um, but it's probably going to be inconsistent. So then we need to make a decision. Where do we go from here? But without doubt, I think we need to bring in a striker next season because I think we saw in, in the Liverpool game, Harry, where where the deficiencies are. I think they've they've both been good over the, the last sort of that unbeaten streak that, that we were on before Liverpool. But that game really showed against top level of opposition. I think Aubameyang was quiet. Lacazette was one of the better players, to be fair. But he's been shoehorned into a number 10 position where our summer signer should be playing, but he's not quite been at it. So it's the short-term fixes we're working with at the moment. So I think there needs to be a long-term plan, absolutely. Just just taking it to Aubameyang for a minute, because you mentioned that obviously he's kind of rediscovered himself. He's been a lot more effective in recent weeks than he had been Prior to that, we know that he had a, a bit of a questionable season last time around. I think the start to the season, people were looking at him and going, well, the, the same issues are there. I agree with you that he's put a lot more effort in. He's put a lot more work rate in. His goal numbers are better. Um, but I guess with Aubameyang, the, the question I would have is, we talk about, you know, maybe that re kind of surgence ultimately leading to him potentially extending his Arsenal stay, but his contract expires in, in June 2023, which means going into next season, he'd be in his last season of contract. Isn't it kind of now or never though, or, or when the summer comes, won't it be now or never with regards to if we expect to get anything back from him? We need to do it then. That's gone really quickly, isn't it? They're really, like... really quickly. Because I think at, at the time, he was absolutely banging him in. Um after after he won us the the FA Cup essentially, and then we gave him the new contract. But then he went missing for about a year. Like literally, he he didn't really play well for for the rest of that season. Um, so was that the contract? Was that saying 
sort of given him this sort of long-term deal, allowed him to to relax, allowed him to sort of think, oh, well, you know, I'm here for another three years. I've got a massive contract. I'm on, I'm on loads of money. Is this time for me to sort of, re- we, we, we don't need that. We don't need that. So absolutely, this is the time for, for him to show up. And I think after the the awful start we had, he took that responsibility and said, you know, you know, I've I've not been myself. The team have been awful. I need to do something. And even just the pressing and the sort of energy and like, but besides the goal scoring, because he can do that, I see the other elements that that I've been impressed with. But we need him now more than ever because look, I I look at the the Liverpool game and I think, yeah, he was he was sort of like he, he had that one chance, didn't he? That that Allison save with his foot, and I think that could have that could have swung the game. Um, and you know that happens. Strikers miss chances, but I think in those games when the margins are so fine, you need you need your number one man to to step up. And I think both of them, Lacazette and, and Aubameyang, I wouldn't say they're they're killers in in front of goal. I think they sometimes need a few chances to to, to find find a back. And I think Aubameyang, he sort of lacked that in his game recently. He he was that when he first arrived, but that's sort of gone unfortunately. So we we need to wait up, but. We we need to sort of perform, like because we're not creating enough chances in in order to get enough goals. I think the the majority of our chances this season have come from our pressing and and energy and turnovers, not that. So we're in, we're in a bit of a pickle in that sense. I think with him, yeah, I think the creativity thing is is a big issue, and, and I agree with you with Abamyang that that lethal kind of streak or or whatever you want to call it was there previously and maybe not so much now but equally we have to consider that we're not making anywhere near as many chances I mean we're talking about a guy who scored 92 goals in 160 Arsenal appearances that is very impressive so I think you're right I think the overriding issue here is that we're not creating enough chances and those strikers are having to be so ruthless in terms of their conversion rate that we're almost expecting too much from them. I've said it time and time again, if Arsenal are going to achieve their objectives this season, it's imperative that Aubameyang is as close to being at the top of his game as he he possibly can be. Um, I think that's huge. I think it's massive. And I think, you know, what we're seeing with Aubameyang and with Lacazette to a degree is the tactical evolution of the side leaving them behind. And it doesn't mean that they're bad players. And I, and I want to reiterate that point because I think they are both fantastic forwards in their own right. But, you know, you look at Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, what is his strength? His strength is running in behind, playing off the shoulder, pulling out slightly to the left-hand side and receiving the ball in those inside half spaces where he can almost Thierry Henry-like try and find the far corner. Those are the things that Aubameyang's really good at. When I think of Lacazette, what do I think of? I think of someone who's very effective with his back to goal, someone who works very hard, someone you can trust to to apply a press, somebody whose attitude is spot on, and he's he's decent in front of goal. He's never been as ruthless as as Aubameyang, but he's still got a pretty decent goal record. But what I want and what I think we need is almost a hybrid between the two of them. We're missing one part of our game, and and that part is having somebody who can hold the ball up but also run in behind, having somebody who can offer a physical presence in the middle of the penalty area when we are facing those tough teams who park the bus and we're trying desperately to 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 break them down with crosses. I think that that's, I've said it throughout the season. If you go back to previous podcasts, you'd have heard me saying the hybrid thing is what we need between those mm. two. And so it doesn't mean Laka's bad. It doesn't mean Aubameyang's bad. It just means that they don't fit the the way we've 
evolved in terms of our playing style. Now, you know, why, what does that mean? What's the solution? How do you get around it? I think in Mikel Arteta's eyes, the solution is, or has been, sacrifice a midfielder, sacrifice Martin Odegaard, and put Laka and Ober in the team because the combination of the two gives you closer to what he needs than having one or the other. So I don't think it's because, you know, I don't even think it's necessarily because Odegaard's been bad. I think Mikel trusts him. I think it's largely down to the fact that he sees it He sees it as being, I need some of the skill set of Aubameyang, some of the skill set of Lacazette. Eventually, I want to get to a place where I've got that in one player, but I don't now. And so I need to do this and I need to shoehorn them both in, in some way. Previously, he'd have stuck Aubameyang out on the left. We've seen that hasn't really worked. And so he's he's decided to do it this way. And I don't really know if it's sustainable. Yeah, and absolutely. You got sort of two strikers doing one role, essentially which then takes out that outlet in the middle of the pitch. Because even though Lacazette will offer you that energy and that hold-up play from sort of advanced 10 second striker position, you're losing that that other link man in midfield, which is what Odegaard does. Like if Odegaard is playing in that position where I assume he was bought to play initially in the, in the, in the number 10, he drops deep and gives us more options, links up the play, slows it down sometimes I think Odegaard but he just offers that much more creativity that Lacazette isn't able to offer so I think there's a real issue there um, that was exposed in in the Liverpool game because against opposition that I, I, I think basically what, what Klopp said was to Thiago stick on, stick on Lacazette and that completely nullified him and completely left Aubameyang isolated which is what we can't do because and as you say, Aubameyang is not a player that's going to create chances for himself. He needs it on a plate or he needs to collect the ball in the half spaces and in between the, the defence midfield and the defence and to whip one into the corner. That's his sort of party trick. So I don't know what Arteta does now this season moving forward because I still think against lesser opposition, we can get away with it. Like against Newcastle, I'm sure playing Lacazette at, at the 10 will be fine because he's got the sort of right combative nature to do it. I don't think tactically Eddie Howe's going to have a plan like Klopp had for us. Um, and they're not going to have Fabinho and they're not going to have Thiago. So I think we'll be okay. But what we need to do to sort of get up to the top four, which is, and the sort of top six, which is what we're aiming for this season, I think we need to be able to get points in those games against, and we need to prove our mettle against the likes of City, Chelsea and Liverpool. I'm not saying we're going to beat them. They're miles ahead of us, but we need to be more competitive because that game, even though we're competitive for 45 minutes, we were not competitive in the second half. As soon as there was a bit of, um, you know, resistance, as soon as Liverpool stepped up the press, they killed us. So I don't know. I, I really don't know what the solution is moving forward for Arteta in those games. So are we, are we maybe, is that, you know, saying what you've just said, and I, and I think you make a lot of sense. Are we now saying that, or suggesting that maybe as a fan base, we're jumping the gun a little bit? Maybe we're saying that the solutions we have currently will, as you say, hopefully uh, be enough against the likes of Newcastle United. And I guess everybody in the Premier League outside of that elite three, who I think are just, yeah. uh, I've said it time and time again, I think are on a different planet to everybody else. Do you think that we need to, I mean, people have called the Liverpool result a reality check 
I said that it was a reality check for the people that needed it, but to everybody else, it was pretty expected. Um, are we saying now that we, we've got a solution in the lacquer Oba thing up front, but it's not something that's sustainable and it's something that we have to accept. We're going to need to work on in the future. It will be okay against certain opponents and it won't be against the, the very elite. Yeah, I think I think essentially it's it's a stopgap to to get us through a period where Odegaard is has dropped in form, and I don't think that Arteta has 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 wanted to put him in. Essentially, I don't think that's particularly to do with his ability. I just think Lacazette is offers different things. He offers a lot more energy, and he's in better form essentially. So I think that's that's the reason he started. I don't really think it's anything massively against Odegaard, as as you, as you say as well. I'm sure he will come back eventually um and we, we need him to because we we've lost that creative spark a, a little bit um and i like, even in games against like uh against crystal palace and brighton over that over that unbeaten run i think those are the games we really struggled um where the teams out fought out for us and they outplayed us tactically especially brighton did um so i think there'll need to be different options in in those types of games as well because it's you know the premier league is super competitive now i mean look at like the sort of managers in the Premier League right now, it's just like levels above where it has been in previous seasons. Like even if if Pochettino comes into Man United, like every single game now is is going to be a battle. Like playing Spurs as well, unfortunately against Antonio Conte, I'm not looking forward to that because you know that number one, he'll have them fired up, but number two, he'll have them tactically sound and he'll have a plan for us. So it's, it, it is those top three teams that we will struggle most against, but I think the the challenge will start to spread out again. So it's about what Arteta does to to combat that and um, basically where we go from here. Yeah, I think the Premier League is getting progressively harder. Um, you know, you, as you say, there are clubs that, you know, I mean, Aston Villa were, were in the championship not so long ago and they had a huge summer in the transfer window. They, they gave... You know, Dean Smith, very little time at the start of this season to turn it around before pulling the trigger, which shows a ruthlessness within the division at clubs that you wouldn't have traditionally seen it as uh, at. Sorry. Um, and, and that obviously leads to a, a need to get results quickly and a need to progress quickly. And I think sometimes we in our Arsenal bubble don't always appreciate that. We don't always look at the wider context of the league and look at who we're supposed to be competing against measure ourselves against the right teams. I think there's this almost, uh, I don't want to call it arrogance, but there is a, you know, there is a reluctance to accept that the standard we're currently at now is, is not where it was uh, under Arsene Wenger in the early 2000s. And, and that's ultimately leading to loads of us just being disappointed season after season after season. I think for me, and, and a couple of people in the chat have said that they feel like top four is achievable this season. I mean, I look at the way the Premier League is unfolding at the moment. I don't think that West Ham, and this might come to bite me in the ass, but I don't think they're going to sustain their level. I think as they get deeper into the Europa League, there'll be, you know, the, the midweek fixtures will be more demanding and they'll probably drop off a little bit. You've already seen at Wolves at the weekend signs of what happens when they, a couple of their players aren't quite at the races. So I think that West Ham will probably drop off. Manchester United, obviously, we don't know what's going to happen there. Are they going to, imp uh, you know, hire the right interim interim boss, if you want to call it that? Um, so I think the door is open for that fourth place. But equally, I would just urge Arsenal fans, and I don't know if you agree with this, Mike, to 
while we can look at the top four and say, yeah, there's a slight opening there. And if we can get there first, we can slip in uh, and, and get ourselves back in the Champions League. Ultimately, the goal from the start of the season, which I believe should have been to finish in the top uh, or no, let me rephrase that. I think the goal should have always been to challenge for the top four. But I think, as I said at the start of the season, I'd be quite happy with a top six finish. And what we need to be careful of doing here is looking at the situation and going, well, the top four is open. But then if we do miss out on it narrowly, I don't think we can throw our toys out of the pram and say, oh, well, we should have got it because the, the, the narrative can't keep shifting, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think top four is, is a big ask this season because, you know, the, the number one struggle we've had under Arteta has been our consistency. Um, and just, just look at this season already. I mean, three defeats, you know, go on a run and then lose to Liverpool. And it's about now finding that consistency and going on another run again. Like if we put together that run, I'm going to, I'm going to sort of discount Liverpool a bit because as you say, for me, it wasn't a reality check. I went into that game knowing that, that we were going to get outclassed. And even though I was really happy with how we played in the first 45 minutes and there was lots of encouraging things because we could have gone there part of the bus and we would have learned nothing. We would learn that Liverpool were a much better team than us and we knew that already. So what what we learned was that we can challenge them for 45 minutes. So that is a step up for me. People might might say hear me say that and say, well, you know, we still lost at the end of the day. But I think you have to take it as this is a learning experience. This is a young squad. The players in that game would have learned a lot from, from that game. Nuno Tavares is going to learn a lot from that game. Ainsley Maitland-Niles, even though he came on, I thought he was brave. He will learn a lot. For Emil Smith-Rowe, you know, all these young players are going to learn something. So we need to take that and move forward. And then it's about what we do on this little run now. We've got a few tough games in there. We're going to be playing a, a reinvig and reinvigorate Man United. They may or may not have a new manager by then. It's about how we set ourselves against them. And the sort of top four op- op- opposition, Like I think the sort of teams that are vying for that place... How we do against them, I think that will that will decide where we end up finishing. But for me, I'm I'm happy with, with a top six finish because we're just we're we're slowly slowly building, slowly getting there. What top six does, it gets us back in the Europa League, gives our fringe players more more time, gives us the opportunity of a title, and it gives us the opportunity of getting back into the Champions League. So if we don't finish in the top four, I'm not that bothered this season because I never thought we would anyway initially, and it will be a massive bonus if we can. But for me, the evolution of the team is on a positive track for now. I'm sure we'll see in the winter period it's going to get tougher. But I'm not throwing my 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 toys out of the pram at the moment after that Liverpool game like some fans are because I just don't think that will define our season. Yeah, nobody sensible should be throwing their toys out of the pram. That's kind of the point, right? The people that are throwing their toys out of the pram, I think you'll find the direct correlation between you know, the fact that those people have have wanted to see Arteta go already. So if you've been desperate to see Arteta go, then you will, even if subconsciously, every time a result like that comes along, overreact. And it's as simple as that. And, And there's no need for it. You know, we, nobody has ever said, not Mikel Arteta, not Edu, not anybody who's backed those two guys in the work that they're doing at the club has ever said that we're at Liverpool's level or that we were going to be at Liverpool's level um, come this point in the project. So I think, you know, people just need to take a step back sometimes and, and look at it a little bit more realistically. Um, 
Just a couple of other transfer rumours uh, doing the rounds, Mike, that I just wanted to quickly get your thoughts on before uh, we take some questions from the live chat. Uh, Granite Xhaka has uh, been speaking, and we know that this is going to cause an almighty shitstorm because it does every time he speaks. Uh, he's said that he's open to returning to Gladbach. Now, let me make this clear. He said he's open to returning to Gladbach once his Arsenal contract ends. But a lot of people are leaving that bit out of the headlines mm-hmm. and out of the clickbait titles. Um, it, it's it, For me, I don't know what you think about this. It, it's a non-issue. It's the club where he made his name. You know, it's a, it's a bit of football romanticism that he'd like to return there at some point or another. We know he's staying at the club. He's, he's not given any indication in that statement that he's, uh, you know, considering sort of breaking that that contract or, or isn't mm-hmm. committed to Arsenal at this moment in time. Non-issue for me. What's your take on it? Yeah, so... He just signed a new contract extension, didn't he? Well, not yeah. long ago. So that takes him to what, like 2025? He's got another two and a half years, basically. It was okay. uh, it was an addition right. onto the contract that he already had. Okay. So yeah, he's still got a long time. And I personally don't think that he is the, the future of this club. And I don't think he ever has been. I think he's going to done a good job for us, but he doesn't go beyond that. I mean, yeah, it's just... He wouldn't, he would want to go back there because that, that was the club he, he essentially made his name. And that that's what sort of, that's where we we got him from. That's where he, you know. So no, I don't I don't have any issue with it. I, it's obviously easy to misquote, isn't it? It's a bit of like a oh, Jacko wants to go back to Gladbach. Yeah, but no, not not a big deal for me. Yeah, I've already seen some tweets. Good riddance, good riddance. Yeah. Like, as if he's like pushing. People just hate now. him though. I think yeah. we've spoken about this before. With Jacko, it's personal. Um, I think people have not really been a fan of him as a as a profile of footballer and i think this is where you know i'm not trying to cuss people out but i think this is where like the sort of fifa generation come in it's like they they, they'll look at his fifa card maybe and see that he's got like you know really low pace and he's like not the not the quickest and not the like he's not good at dribbling and he's like not not the best shooter and or no whatever it is whatever you're looking at and they'll they'll judge him and say oh you know like we need a sort of more well-rounded player but when you look at it there are things that, that he does for us that are good. And um, I think we have missed him. I think the, the impact has been a little bit less because of, of Sambi. I think Sambi's done quite well. But we obviously do need that experienced head in the middle of the park. Games like Liverpool, that would have been helpful. But um, for whatever reason, I don't know, maybe it was the the sort of hatred got worse after the sort of uh, the Crystal Palace thing where he, where he, um, he was spat with the fans, wasn't there? Uh, yeah. and, and he got stripped of the, the captaincy. I think that maybe left a sour taste in some people's mouths. So I, d- I don't know. I, c- I can't speak for others, but yeah, it's personal with him. Yeah, absolutely. Completely agree. Uh, also, Callum Chambers is being linked with a move away, Mike. He's being linked with a move to Everton, who are said to be wanting to pay around about £5 million uh, to bring the player mm. in. Callum Chambers, at times last season, showed signs of maybe establishing himself as a right back. Um, you know, Mikel Arteta clearly was looking for a right back who was kind of in the mould of a centre-back as well, if that makes sense. Um, you know, he went for Tommy Asu, who you could argue profile-wise is quite similar to Callum Chambers in that he can play as a centre-back. He is quite big. He is quite uh, physical uh, in comparison to your kind of traditional uh, fullback, But He's obviously been pushed aside. He's obviously really low in the pecking order now. His contract expires as well at the end of this season. I'd be quite mm. happy if we could get five million for him in January. 
snap someone's hands off for five million, I think. He's you know, he's well, well behind in, in a pecking order. To be honest, when you mentioned Chambers, it's like I almost forgot he existed a little bit. Like, no no <laughs> offence, but it's like I've not heard the, the guy's name for, for so long. I think he was on, like, that that long list of players that was, like, linked with a move away in the summer. But since then, he's not really entered my my, my mind frame. But, yeah, if, if we can get five million, great. But if he stays and sort of saw out his his contract and was there as like a backup, backup, backup. I don't think it will be, it'll be the worst in the world. Um, I think he's for me, like personally, I'd rather play him than, than Cedric at, at right back. I think he offers a little bit more. He's a bit sort of more physical. He, he's, his delivery is better. We saw that in the, in the Europa league quite a few times last season, he, his delivery was pretty good. So I think if, if it was a choice between them two, it, it, it probably isn't because of the different contract lengths, but, I would I would keep him over Cedric personally. Really, I, I slightly disagree. Yeah. I think I'd stay with Cedric. I, it's hard because I think that Callum Chambers had some really good games where he was like doing everything. He was bombing forward. He was all action. He was putting some good deliveries into the penalty area, but also he was quite defensively solid. But then he had some real stinkers as well. And I just think for me, mm. Cedric gives you more going forward. I think he's got a better delivery. I think. You know, really? the, yeah, I, I really do. I think Callum Chambers oh, wow. like had these kind of freak games where like everything he hit was perfect. And yeah, I, I think over the course of a season, I do think Cedric's got more quality with the ball at his feet. But I also think he lacks a little bit defensively, lacks a little bit physically at times. Um, and, and, <sighs> I don't know. I don't know. Cedric for me is just a disaster waiting to happen. I think he's got that mistake in him almost like in in the little bit in in a mold of Bellerin where it's like he can get caught out and it's just like it's, it's a tactical thing for me like sometimes it's just like he doesn't really fit in probably because he's he's not playing so much and then he's thrown in but he just looks like a fish out of water i think my thing is if we're looking at a sort of backup like for for Tomiyasu i think Chambers is probably more well suited to the role that Tomiyasu does. So if we're looking for someone to come straight in, Chambers obviously played centre back before, so he could slot into that hybrid role that that Tomiyasu does. I'm not saying he's going to be great at it, but we're talking about a backup, backup. Like he's probably not going to play, but because we're playing so few competitions this season. But yeah, I don't know. Cedric, I guess the only other argument you can make is that he filled in decently at left back. Well, I say decently. He had a few good games, didn't he? Then he had a few rubbish games um, when Tinny was injured. So maybe, but we've got Tavares now. So I guess that doesn't really come into it. Yeah, I, I agree with you about Chambers profile-wise fitting into covering Tommy Asu more. Because as I said, when I was talking about him, I said, you know, I think that it physically and, and all of that, he's, he's more similar to Tommy Asu. But I just, it's, it's the, the point you made earlier is key the contract links, you know, you're looking at Cedric, he was signed up on a four year deal. Callum Chambers, as we said, his deal expires at the end of this season. And that makes it quite easy to, to move him on, doesn't it? But yeah, let's, uh, let's take some questions then from the live chat box, get them in, put put a cue at the start of them so that I can pick them out a little bit easier from the chat. I can see, uh, who is it? Uh, Tabrez is upset about the FIFA cards comment, Mike. Well, Mike wasn't saying that. that, you look at FIFA cards specifically, Tabras, but there are a generation of fans now who that's how they consume football. That's how they look at football. I was um, just making a lighthearted comment, mate. I didn't yeah. say that you <laughs> that you play FIFA and make and make up your mind on that. But if you do, that's okay as well. 
yeah absolutely if you want to do that exactly it listen it happens it happens you know people and when i say it happens i mean people do do that i've got younger relatives who when i talk about football with them they'll say to me oh i really like this player because he's great on fifa he's really fast on fifa or he's really skillful on fifa that that, it is a thing whether people want to admit it or not is a huge thing right let's take uh, some questions from the chat uh just before we do that, though, quick reminder, if you haven't done so already, please do hit the like button. I can see we've only got 40 likes on the board. Let's get that up to 75 at least. It should be light work with the amount of people watching at the moment. Also, uh, details of how you can enter our competition where you can win one of two free Arsenal shirts to celebrate the Chronicles of Aguna's birthday. Uh, please check the details out across the bottom of the screen. Head over to Twitter. Do what you got to do. Alternatively, if you don't have Twitter, which I know some of you have said you don't, then please email me. Chroniclesafc at gmail.com is the email address and we'll enter you into the competition that way. Uh, let's take this one from John Daly. January is going to be massive. Players like Lacazette could be used as make weights for someone better. Could we use Eddie to West Ham, for example? Do you think we'll start playing hardball in the window? I think we will. Are we at the phase now, Mike, where we can play hardball in the window or are we still at the point where we just need to get these players out and if we don't make anything for them, then, you know, that's it? Yeah, I think we've we've reached a stage where some of these players, especially the more senior ones that that aren't particularly in the team or aren't performing, you just have to cut your losses. Like someone like Mohamed Elneny, he's not going to fetch us much. So I think if, if, this, if it comes to a situation where you either, you know, let him go for like a minimal fee or potentially have to give him a new contract just to, you know, have numbers. I think definitely in that situation, you have to get rid. It's quite an interesting comment John makes because um, Eddie to someone like West Ham, um, I saw Kevin Campbell, the the legend, uh, Chronicles alumni, Kevin Campbell <laughs> said that um, we should we should go out and get Mikel Antonio. Um, bit of a, you know, wild shout, maybe. Um, but, it sort of makes sense if you're saying use someone as a as a make weight. Would would you let me throw this to you, Harry? Would you swap or use Enketi in a deal to get Antonio? Oh, I, I like Mikel Antonio. I think he's like many players though has a massive issue with injuries, and um and I'd be worried about that. Also, I don't want to sound. I don't want this to come across as as I don't know how to put this. How do I say this without pissing people off? I don't think that Mikel Antonio is a sophisticated enough forward to play the way that we want. I think he is a battering ram. He is physically immense. The guy's got thighs like, uh, I don't even know what, like they're incredible. Um, <laughs> he's got so much going for him, but I just think he is a David Moyes player. And and you're seeing him really benefit from the way that West Ham are asked and, and, and set out to play under David Moyes, I'm not sure that that gets translated as easily as maybe some people would think at another club. So I wouldn't be pursuing Mikel Antonio, but I'd rather have him than Eddie Nketiah, if that answers your question. Yeah, no, it's, it's a good answer. I mean, I was shocked when I saw Antonio's age. I can't believe I think he's 31. Mm. I was like, what? Like, how? Because he spent like so so much of his career in the lower leagues. And then when he was at West Ham, he was playing right back to start with. And yeah. like, he's just such a, like right now, he's obviously having a purple patch. And he, at the beginning of the season, looks incredible. 
Um, but I just think he's a he, he's a good player and he's a good Premier League striker. And but he's as Harry says, he's perfect for West Ham. He is the guy you want if you're a counter attacking team because he'll he'll chase every single ball. He'll hold it up. You can't barge him off. You can't barge him off. He's a good finisher as well. So, but for us. Nah, I think for me personally, I'd pass. Not sure about his film-related goal celebrations as well. That would also uh, <laughs> that be a mark against him. <laughs> I wasn't <laughs> a fan. Uh, let's take this one from Master Yoda. He says, uh, unrelated, but if Vieira would make the switch right now, would you take him over Arteta? Mike, I'll throw that at you. I don't even know what to, I don't know what to say to that. It's just like the most hypothetical question you could you could ever throw at me um no i think no is is the answer um for me it would make no sense to get rid of an inexperienced manager for someone who's still relatively inexperienced he's had a few more years managing but you know really he was at new york and then he was at nice where he didn't do too well and now he's you know only in his first season at palace so no i don't really think that would make much sense i think we need to stick with arteta until the squad is in a in a much better shape until we're back in the champions league and then maybe in a few years the the situation might change and we might need that sort of you know really elite manager to sort of push us into the the the, the upper the upper echelons but right now i think arteta's the guy yeah i'm i'm still relatively hopeful that Arteta is the guy but also with Patrick Vieira who I think by the way has started the season incredibly well I still think I had major question marks over Vieira as a manager prior to him joining Crystal Palace and although he's done really really well up to now we're only 12 games into the season it's not a big enough sample Mm. size for me to to say that he is an upgrade on Mikel Arteta so I'm not saying he won't be in the future um, and, and listen, I love Patrick Vieira. I hope he goes on to great things, but I haven't seen enough yet uh, to say that I would definitely drop of a hat, swap the two around. Uh, let's take this one from Sam. Uh, why do you think Balogun hasn't kicked on yet? Would you send him on loan in January? A few years ago, he was being compared with Greenwood, who is now miles ahead of him. This is interesting, Mike, isn't it? Because Arsenal went really big on on trying to persuade him to sign a new deal. They managed to do it. And you thought at that point that, Eddie Nketiah would be pushed to one side, given that his future is so uncertain at the club, and that that backup striker role, you know, beyond Aubameyang and Lacazette, would be given to Balogun, that he'd be in and around the first-team mm. squad. Yet every single week when I go onto social media or go online, I see him lining up for the under-23s, and I don't see him as as part of the, the first-team plans. And he, he's behind Nketiah in the pecking order despite Enketia seemingly making it clear that he's not intending to be here beyond the end of the season while Balogun has committed his future. What's your take on this situation? Because it's a strange one. So I think this sort of Greenwood comparison, I don't know where that's come from, but I think if you are a player as special and talented as, as Mason Greenwood, you will get your opportunity no matter who's in, no matter who's in, in the team and ahead of you, no matter what sort of form like if you're that special and the manager thinks you're you're that good, you'll get a go. And Greenwood just so happened to, to hit the ground running um, at a time when when Man United needed someone like that. And he's just been since then growing and growing. And he's 
Greenwood is a is a special talent. So I think to compare Balogun to him is 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 hard because Balogun has not had the opportunities, um, and he he's impressed in sort of flashes in the Europa League last season. But you have to take into consideration the level of, of opposition. I think he he was scoring against teams like Don Dalk. So you you have to weigh that up. And I think maybe he was a little bit hard done by at the beginning of this season because we we threw him in on the first. For his first ever ever Premier League start was against Brentford when the team weren't prepared because Bamiang and Lacazette had got COVID and it was like a last minute decision. I think there was even things saying like the, the game was like considering being cancelled or postponed, but they didn't want to do it because it was the first game of the season. Um, so the fact that he was thrown in to, to, to the Lions' den essentially was hard and I, I'm not surprised that he, he struggled. Um so I just think for him, he is really one of the one of the guys that's that's not benefiting from, and really really not benefiting from uh, having the from not having the Europa League because I think he'd be playing and I think he'd be getting the opportunity to shine. But and on on the other hand, you could look at it and say, is there maybe something that he's not doing in in training that is maybe saying to Arteta, I need to start this guy. This guy needs to play, or is it just that Abamyang and Lacazette are so sort of experienced? that he can't he, he can't get in ahead of him i don't i don't know i would love to be on, on the training pitch and see what sort of stuff balogun's doing because for me he has outgrown you football now like he has yeah. been there completed it he's scored god knows how many goals he's absolutely boss at that level and he needs first team football because he won't improve without it so that's what i was saying i think he needs a loan but yeah either way it's it's a strange case and it's frustrating because he's clearly talented yeah, I don't really have an issue with him being behind Oba, behind Laka. It's the Inketia thing that really gets me. And it kind of sends, I think, the wrong mm. message. You know, you, you worked so hard to get this player to, to sign up. Is it because Arsenal think that in the future he will surpass Eddie Inketia? But right now, Eddie Inketia is a, a better option, perhaps. But I just think Inketia is not playing anyway. So why not at least send the message and give the young lad the confidence boost to say, or that says that, forget Nketiah, he's not signed a new deal. You are the next in line. You are the man yeah, that we're going to be building on. And that's the bit that, you know, and I totally agree with your point about the Europa League. I've said that time and time again this season, that where there are players who are missing out on potentially, you know, at minimum six games, eight games, 10 games that they would have definitely played in or had an opportunity in, which can be invaluable. And without that Europa League, we're seeing lots of people suffer the second choice goalkeeper at the moment, which happens to be Bernalino. Gabriel Martinelli's another one who could really benefit from that game time, but it's just simply not there. And that for me was why when people were saying, oh, you know, we're out of Europe and we're not going to, uh, you know, we're going to have all this time to focus on the Premier League. I did see the advantages to that, of course, but there are major disadvantages as well. And this is certainly one of them. Um, we've only got time for one more question, but this is a fantastic one. So I'm, uh, apologies if I have skipped some of them out, but I really want to pick up this one uh, from Pat Moyles. I think this is a wonderful question. If you could draw a timeline, where do you think Arsenal are in the change process that Arteta and Edu are planning? This is a really, really good question. I like this. How would you describe the timeline, I guess, Mike, and where would you, you put us on it? Um... I think we're sort of just shy of the of the halfway point. Um, I'm actually, no, I'm going to dial that back a bit. I'll go probably about twenty five percent of of the way 
because I think the big sort of massive step in initially was um, getting the favour of, of of some of the fans with, with the FA Cup, which sort of gave him the time. Because I think if if he if if he wouldn't have done that, I think the pressure would have been huge on him. So I think he bought himself a little bit of time, and then the next step was to reshape the squad, get rid get rid of some of the players that that didn't that shouldn't be there essentially like some Mustafi, Socrates, Mesut Ozil that that was the next stage and then now I'm think we're coming into the this the phase where we're developing our, our young talent that's that's quite a big that's quite a big bit and we're also um trying to trim down the squad and get better first team players in so that's why I say 25 to 30% because I don't think where we will challenge for, for the for the top four this season. That that's when I think we will be sort of more like 50-60% of the way there. And I think the sort of ultimate aim will be to get sort of more competitive. I'm not saying title challenge, no way, but I think the sort of ultimate thing will be to closer to those sort of Chelsea, Man City, Liverpool and putting in, you know, better performances against them, beating them on on occasion and looking like a serious team staying in, in, in the Champions League every season. I think that's the sort of thing. So it's it's a bit of a shame because I think after what it's been like almost two years now, you'd want to have kicked on a bit further. But I think that's just the situation. That's the enormity of the task Arteta found. And I think he knew that when he when he when he signed up. But I feel like the direction of travel is positive, but maybe we're not as far along as as we would have hoped at this stage. Yeah, good answer. Um, I would say that we are... So I've just quickly drawn a timeline on my little piece of paper in front of me. And uh, I've got five steps in that timeline. And I think that we are two steps into it. So two-fifths, is that how you would put it? I think we're two-fifths yeah. along the way. Um, so about 40%. This is, yeah i guess i guess we're you know so this is how I've, I've i've noted it down so the first phase was get rid um that was get rid of the dead wood get rid of all the mistakes that or, or as many of the mistakes as you possibly could that had been made in the the years prior to Mikel arteta's arrival i think that was a phase that people thought could be done a lot quicker than it actually materialized because of course we had issues with player contracts. We had to get these people out. We had to move them on. We had instances where we couldn't give them for free because people didn't want to take on their wages. So I think we've hit a couple of snags along the way, which has, has delayed this a little bit. I think that was one of the big snags. And that was the first phase for me was getting rid. The second phase then was building. And I don't think we've actually seen Arsenal building until this summer. I think the prior transfer windows that Mikel Arteta had with the exception of Thomas Partey and Gabriel, who were big signings with a view to us, you know, pushing on and being part of the plans moving forward. I think other signings like Pablo Marie, like Cedric, like, you know, those signings were, were like Willian were done to try and plug holes and try and boost us in certain areas and, and, and were squad signings. Ultimately, I think the next building phase, because I think it's more than one, you know, you need more than one season to build. I think will be next summer. So not, January, forget that. I don't think you can do enough business in January, given the investment we made in the summer as well. I think next summer is another building phase. Then the next phase for me is pushing on and challenging for the Champions League. And I mean, seriously challenging. I mean, being there or thereabouts for the entirety of the season 
and having a good chance of qualifying for that. And then the phase after that, which is what Arsenal want to get to, and this is the hardest bit to crack because there's no guarantee that you, you know, that or there's no right. We don't have a divine right to be in the Champions League. But the last phase and where I'd say that Arteta would have done his job would be to say that we are regularly in the Champions League again and have established ourselves again as a Champions League force. That's the fifth step. I think we're still on the second step. I think we've built well in the sense of we brought in some good players. There's still players, as we've talked about on this show and in previous ones, that need to go, that need to move on. And again, that delay that we keep seeing in this entire process is largely a consequence of the fact that we can't get rid of some of these players. But I still think we're going to need another window, another big summer. Maybe not as big in terms of the volume of players that we bring in, but we need quality to come in. And we need that next summer, I think, to almost build on the foundations that have been laid this summer, push on, make a few upgrades, make a few adjustments, enhance the quality of the squad, not just the first 11, because if you want to get back in Europe, you need a squad. I don't think that our squad now is where it needs to be in terms of strength. I think it is where it needs to be in terms of numbers, but a lot of those numbers are hangovers from years gone by. So that's where I would say we are, two two fifths of the way through this process. But what I would also just quickly reiterate, that fifth step of establishing ourselves as a Champions League club year in, year out again, it's much harder to achieve than it was when Wenger did it because of the competition. You know, you're talking about Chelsea, Liverpool, Man City, Man United, Tottenham, Leicester, um, West Ham now are in the picture. All clubs who are vying for that spot. That's what their goal is. And it's gone from four teams wanting it to seven teams, maybe even eight teams in the years to come when Newcastle United start throwing their money about. So the the fifth and final step that I would turn around and say, well, Arteta's done a fantastic job. It's a lot more difficult to to reach than it would have been in years gone by. And I think that needs to be remembered and needs to be emphasised. So, um, yeah, that's where I am. I think we're going to leave it there. We've been going for the best part of an hour. Great question that, Pat. Really, really yeah, enjoyed that. Top question, man. Yeah, really, really good. Um, lots of other great questions too, but unfortunately we, we didn't get around to picking them up uh, due to time uh, constraints. But we will be back very, very soon with more. You can join me later on uh, on another live show where I'll be joined by Sophie Nicolau from the Highbury Squad. Uh, we had a few disagreements the other day, obviously in good spirits, but about uh, what to take away from the Arsenal-Liverpool game. So we're going to have a good chat later on today. Looking forward to that. Make sure you check it out. Subscribe to the channel if you haven't done so already. Make sure you enter our competition to win one of two Arsenal shirts that we're giving away. Uh, Mike, how can people keep up to date with you and uh, how can they find you on social media, sir? Yeah, so uh, at Mike underscore Stavrou on Twitter. Uh, if you want to give me a follow on that, it's probably the best place to keep up with all my latest work, podcasts, that sort of stuff. Brilliant stuff. Make sure you do head over and give Mike a follow. Make sure you hit the like button on your way out and we'll be back very, very soon with more. Until next time, goodbye. listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to 